Here are the three things you have to have in your organization. You have to have a strong, healthy, remarkable culture. The second thing is you have to be part of something bigger than yourself. You have to have something worthy. I mean, you have to have this bigger vision about serving and impacting lives. And then lastly is you have to create development and learning opportunities. They want to develop and grow. You have to invest in them. Well, hey there. If we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they are created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Now, I'm going to let you know right off the bat, today's episode would be way better to listen to if you were also eating a 12-piece chicken nugget meal and waffle fries from Chick-fil-A, because today we get to talk with Deanne Turner. Now, Deanne Turner worked with and for Chick-fil-A for over 33 years. She was the organization's first female officer, and she ended up serving as the VP of Talent and the VP of Sustainability. Now, think about this for a second. You know this. Chick-fil-A's chicken and fries and everything they do is, is so good, but the thing that sets them apart, the thing that makes them truly unique and the thing that makes them truly remarkable is their people and their culture. And Deanne had a front row seat literally at the beginning working with Truett, working alongside that team as this organization grew into the multi-billion dollar behemoth that it is today. And her focus was people. And it was out of that experience that she ended up writing books like It's My Pleasure, which talked about the culture of the organization, like Bet on Talent, which talked about how to attract and find and make sure you're cultivating great people in your organization. And now she just wrote her newest book, which is a little bit of a left turn. It's called Crush Your Career. And I saw that she was writing this book, and I thought it would be so interesting to talk to her because so many of you, the impact-driven leaders that we work with every single day, you want to provide people with the opportunity to have a career. But more than that, you want to provide people with the opportunity to have a calling. And this is what Deanne and I get into today. But before we get to all of that, I just wanted her to share where on earth the idea of this book came from. My first two books were really to leaders about how to create a remarkable culture and find and keep extraordinary talent. And Crush Your Career is really written for the talent on how to be extraordinary. Mm. And so what, how this all came about was actually through my publisher, Baker Publishing. Uh, a couple of years ago, they said, after Bet on Talent released, they said, okay, we're ready for your next book. And we want you to write a book about how to find a job, keep a job and grow a career. And by the way, your target audience is going to be 20 to 35-year-olds. And at that time in my life, I had and still have three young adult sons in that age group. And I knew from experience that they didn't need a book on how to find a job, keep a job and grow a career because, in fact, one of them had been on his job all of six months and had recruiters calling him and job (laughs) offers constantly because that was just what the job market was at the time. So we went back and forth. I just sort of argued this. And they came back and just insisted that I write this book. I said, okay, I'm going to write it. So I worked on it and I worked on it. The really neat thing is I worked on it with my youngest son, who will be a senior at Wake Forest University this year. And, and really he went through every word with it. He was, you know, 19 at the time and, and, and he wasn't struggling. His struggle was mom, there's so many things I want to do. And I talk about in the book, you know, we'd had these late night conversations about 
And I was always trying to fix this problem. You know, I was trying to tell him, you know, all these career advice and all this kind of stuff. And one night after a long conversation, I asked a question that I should have asked a long time ago. I finally said, Trey, you know, um, how can I help you? I mean, you know, what, what can I do to help? And he said, you can just tell me it's going to be okay. And so Crush Your Career came out of that. And it's really that message to that age group, even in all this chaos and all that's happened, it's going to be okay. And here's how it's going to be okay. You know, here are the tactics to get you where you want to go. But here's also the encouragement. And so the unique thing about it is I turned in the first draft of the book on March the 20th, 2020. And then I said to Baker, I said, okay, I'm going to need that back because I have to make some edits now based on what's going on in the world. And, you know, I look back on that and I just laugh because that book was not my plan, but that was obviously something that was in God's plan. That it'd be a needed resource for a season and a chapter that I could not even imagine at the time. Man, that's so powerful. And as I kind of heard that you were coming out with this book next and we started thinking about having you on this program, we said, okay, well, we serve impact-driven leaders. And we said, okay, what is the way we can kind of dissect this content in such a way that it's really applicable to the business owner or business leader that is hiring people? And one of the things that I immediately thought of, Deanne, is you worked at Chick-fil-A for something like 35 years. Is that correct? 33. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know I'm not allowed to call Chick-fil-A fast food. What, it, what, it, what is the correct term again? What, how, what am I supposed to call it? Uh, well, we always called it quick service. <laughs> quick service, which is 10x better because Chick-fil-A is 10x better. I really believe that. So quick service. And it, it's like there is nothing that says that anyone should go work in quick service or fast food or at a restaurant for 35 years, right? I mean, typically it's like we think of, oh, someone's going to go work for that company for two years and then they're going to go on to something else and something different. They're going to use that as a stepping stone. And so one of the things that I thought is like, man, Deanne worked for this business that she wanted to make a career at. And she did that for 35 years. And clearly there was something about the environment there that made it a place that you actually wanted to stay. And not only that you wanted to stay, but that you wanted to contribute to this just hockey stick growth that they've experienced. So before we kind of jump into the tactics of what leaders can be doing and things like that, I'd love for you just to speak a little bit about really the difference that an environment or culture can make in team members actually wanting to have this career mindset? When I think about where I came from to Chick-fil-A, and, and I didn't have a lot of experience before Chick-fil-A, very little, and but I was in a toxic work environment. And I didn't even know that's what you called it back then. But it was characterized by the fact there were lots of rules, you know, rules you can't break or you're going to get in big trouble or you're going to get fired. And things like, you know, my boss would dock my pay if I was 30 seconds late from, from my 30-minute lunch. You know, he always watched over me looking for every single error I might make. You know, I tell this story. Uh, it's really, it, it, it wasn't funny at the time. It's funny looking back at it. But one of the things he did was take this nap after lunch. And I'm not talking about a power nap. I'm talking about a full-on snoring two-hour nap. <laughs> what on earth? What, did he do this at the office? Oh, yeah, in, in his office. And he left strict instructions not to be disturbed under any circumstances. Now, my job, I was a print coordinator, but during lunch, I was the receptionist. That was So I was sitting at the front desk and I was fully aware of what the rules were. And these men in suits with earpieces and badges came in and asked to speak to my boss. 
And of course I said, yes, sir. No, I didn't say that at all. I said, I'm sorry, that's not possible. Oh my God, you're about to get and, arrested, Deanne. Right, <laughs> and I'm 21 years old and I'm so full of this toxic culture and I'm so fearful, which is another hallmark of a toxic culture, that I am more concerned about waking up my snoring boss than I am you know, uh, obstructing armed federal agents. And that's, <laughs> but that's what a toxic culture looks like. And that's what the people who work there look like. And then I went to work for Chick-fil-A and it was the opposite. It was a company that was based on principles, things like treat everybody with honor, dignity, and respect mm. and make second mile, second nature. And those types of principles where they selected talent capable of working and thriving under principles like that, and then they empowered them and set them loose to do it. And it worked at every, I make it sound simple because these, you know, this has been since 1946 in the making, but all of those principles added up to some of those amazing stories you hear about the organization because people were actually empowered to serve instead of being required to comply to rules. The the really cool thing about that is, is, you know, Chick-fil-A was long ahead of their time when you think about culture because it was a very different environment. That was 1985. So it was a very different environment in the marketplace. I mean, you were, it, it was the, you know, the baby boomers were, the last part of us were coming into the workforce at that time. And it was all about climbing the ladder and, you know, working all the time and being, you know, just buried to your job and all that kind of stuff was the culture. And here's this guy, Truett Cathy, that more so by his example than his words was like, okay, people are important. Now, profits were important because he couldn't have done all those wonderful things without it. But people are important. The culture is important. Man, that is so powerful. I, I feel like any time I hear someone who knew him personally talk about Truett Cathy, they speak with such admiration. And also, it just sounds like the guy was larger than life. It's almost like he had the vision to create a place that sold chicken sandwiches, but he said, we're going to make this about something so much bigger than chicken. So can you speak to what was it about him as a leader, whether it was qualities or actions that he took that made him someone that other high caliber people wanted to be around? I think for me, you know, I can't speak for all those people, but one of the things for me, other than being, you know, a, a really brilliant business person, it was really about his servant heart, which is mm -hmm. the core of who Chick-fil-A is. I mean, their number one core value is we're here to serve. And he exemplified that in every area of his life. And, you know, it wasn't just about serving customers in the restaurant. It started there. I mean, 1946, he opened his first restaurant and people came there because they loved the service. I mean, I guess the food was pretty good. I can't speak to it. It wasn't around 1946, right. but, you know, <laughs> but they came there because people knew their name. They knew their regular orders. They knew their stories and they liked to talk to Truett. He was a fun person to hang around with. Well, as his business grew, his servant heart just grew bigger. His generosity grew bigger. And there's stories about him. I, I can tell a really personal story to you that, that most, you know, you can hear a lot of things he did, but this is totally personal to me. My husband left the ministry and he was making a career transition. And during that time, in fact, I write about this and crush your career because it's mm -hmm. like sometimes you take a, a, a different step off your path. 
And so he, he was on his way, long story, to be an air traffic controller. I know, strange career path. But anyway, we can talk about that. I don't know. Time. Ministry can be a lot like air traffic control, go this way, not that way type thing. <laughs> well, the funny thing is people used to always say, air traffic controller, isn't that stressful? And he'd say, not compared to being in the ministry. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No kidding. <laughs> so anyway, he was making career change. But in the meantime, he went back to doing something that he did during college, which was sell men's clothing in a high-end men's clothing store. And Truett knew that he worked there. It was actually just in a shopping mall down the street from the corporate headquarters. And Truett would go in there and buy all his suits from him. Hmm. And that was a really big deal when you're working primarily on commission. And the other thing he would do is he would bring young men in there that were headed to college or headed to medical school or headed to their first job. And he'd bring them in there and outfit them in all the clothes they needed. And he would my husband would be the salesman. And I'll never forget one night I was out of town. This was before sales, cell phones. And I couldn't get a hold of my husband. It was very unusual that he would be gone in the evening while I was out of town. And so I was really worried about him. You know, I, we wives, we jumped to the worst possible scenario, like he's been in a car accident, he's in the hospital. And so finally, when he called me back that night, I said, where were you? He said, well, I was over at Truett and Jeanette's. I said, you were at Truett and Jeanette's? And he said, yeah, he, I." had some suits tailored for him and he just asked me to bring him over to the house and we sat and had a coke and talked for a little while i was like <laughs> he invested i mean the guys running i mean it wasn't a billion dollar company at the time but you know hundreds of millions of dollars at the time and <laughs> he's running right. this company and he invites my husband over you know and i don't think it would i mean he could have gone and to the store to get the suits that wasn't the issue mm-hmm. he just spent time with him and he was that kind of guy and he really, and the, the, the great thing about Chick-fil-A, what makes it so great is then he went on to build this organization that's full of men and women that operate Chick-fil-A restaurants that behave just like that. They mm-hmm. treat their team members like Truett treated his early team members and then staff members and franchisees. And they serve not just their customers, but their teams as well. And like this afternoon, this is so cool what I'm going to be doing. Um, these these restaurants are, are doing so much business. They have their own internship program, some of them. Can you imagine? Interns <laughs> at, a, at a quick service restaurant. So there's a bunch of them, and they chose Crush Your Career as their book study. So this afternoon, I'm going to drop in on their book study, you know, and uh, do Q&A with them. And, and that's the kind of thing Turk Kathy would have done. And he set that kind of role model for all of his leaders. And, you know, you, you've talked about the things that this generation is looking for. I mean, for the leaders who are listening to this podcast, Here are the three things you have to have in your organization. We've talked about culture. You have to have a, whatever word you call it, strong, healthy, remarkable culture. The second thing, we were just talking about that, is you have to be part of something bigger than yourself. You have to have something worthy. I mean, would I stay someplace 35 years just to sell chicken? No. It was about (laughs) the impact and the positive. I mean, it's great chicken. But that's not motivating enough for anybody. You have to have this bigger vision. And his bigger vision was about serving and impacting lives. And then lastly, the thing we haven't talked about yet is you have to create development and learning opportunities. They want to develop and grow. You have to invest in them. Just like this franchisee has this leadership team that has an internship team. And then I'm going to show up and speak to them this afternoon. That's the kind of things they're looking for in a job opportunity. 
Gosh, that that's so good. And that's exactly where I wanted to go next, because I, I assume when you went in 1985 to start working at Chick-fil-A, you weren't thinking, oh, I'm going to be here for 35 years. Correct. <laughs> No, I was going to be the preacher's wife and I was going to stay home and raise my kids. <laughs> yeah, so that's mind blowing. And you end up leading HR for the entire company, which is crazy. And so often what we see is, and you know this, we say that we work with impact driven leaders. So they, they, the people we work with, and this is me as well, like we resonate so much with the Chick-fil-A example of like, you think this is about chicken and this has nothing to do with chicken. But I think sometimes the blocker for some people that I've seen is they say, oh, I own a landscaping company or, oh, I own a financial services company or, oh, I own a marketing agency. And they say, anytime I start making it about something bigger than marketing or landscaping or, or financial services, it just feels cheesy and it feels weird. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to be weird, but at the same time, they want the level of dedication that makes someone like Deanne Turner work there for 35 years. So can you speak to that person and maybe coach them a little bit on what they need to do in that situation? Yeah, well, I can certainly understand a concern about being cheesy. And I've seen that in places, you know, it can really come off that way. So one of the things that you have to do is you have to engage the people around you to get the buy-in. You know, when Truett Cathy created the purpose for Chick-fil-A, the reality was he had lived it out. So he went from 1946 to 1982 before the corporate purpose was actually written down. But he had lived those principles. And then we get to 1982 and something happened to him that had never happened before. He had a slump in sales that year. We were in a terrible, terrible recession in the U.S. And he had a slump in sales and he had, and he had just built his um, new five-story corporate headquarters on 76 acres south of Atlanta. So he was also heavily in debt. And that was what really drove them to writing down the purpose. But he just didn't write it down by himself and come and say, OK, everybody, this is now our purpose and this is what we're going to do. He took his executive team off for a retreat and they talked about the problem first, the problem of the slump in sales and heavy in debt. And you can imagine some of the solutions they had to consider. And then halfway through the first day, one of them asked, well, wait a minute, why are we in business at all? What is our why? Before Simon Sinek ever wrote Start With Why, they <laughs> said, what's our why? What's the big reason behind this? And they spent the next two and a half days crafting the Chick-fil-A corporate purpose. So lesson number one, he engaged his closest leaders and they helped articulate really what they'd already seen him doing. And so they brought this corporate purpose back to the staff. This is step number two. And then they shared it with them and got their buy-in. And what they shared with them as corporate purpose is to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us to be a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. Well, the staff bought into it. They bought into it so much that as a Christmas gift, they carved it in bronze, put it on a granite slab, and stuck it right in front of the corporate headquarters. Now, why would they do that? Well, they wanted to remind themselves they weren't just in the chicken business. They were in something far bigger than that. because. What happened from the day-to-day -day contact with customers? And quite frankly, the, the income generated from all those chicken sales could help a lot of people all over the world. And so, in fact, years later, I was sitting at a, one of our annual conferences at the time it was called Seminar. And I was sitting at a table for 10 and I just stopped for a minute and listened. And it was all franchisees. 
And they weren't talking about their latest sales campaign. They weren't even talking about how hard it was to find talent. They were talking about all the things, the missional things they were doing around the world. They were talking about drilling wells for clean drinking water. They were talking about the number of scholarships they were able to give their team members. They were talking about building schools in places where there were no schools. They were talking about supporting schools in their communities. And I just thought, this is what this is all about, is this incredible impact. Chicken's just a means to this other end. So back to my story about the corporate purpose. So living that out, they put that out there. And then the most amazing thing has happened for Chick-fil-A since they found their why, and since they articulated their why even more so. And that's that Chick-fil-A has not had another slump in sales, including the year of 2020, since 1982. And more than that, they became debt-free in 2012. And they enjoy a retention rate of 95% among their support staff members there in Atlanta and 95% among their franchisees. Those are the results speak for themselves of being able to articulate your why. And I think that I think that has had the most significant impact of anything on Chick-fil-A's culture and therefore their success. Mm. You know, thinking contextually about it, to take all of the top executives of this rapidly growing company and put them in a room for two and a half days, that that's a lot of payroll, right? That's a <laughs> lot of money that for those two and a half days isn't doing quote unquote work. And I think that's how a lot of people would perceive it is, oh, that's a lot of leadership that isn't doing work for those two and a half days. And I know that's part of the paradigm shift. Like, no, that is work. And in fact, that's the greatest work. But can you speak to, because they took those two and a half days and crafted that purpose statement and really put a stake in the ground and says, this isn't just what we do as a company. This is why we do it. What does that do for the team member that's on the front lines? What does that do for the people that you wrote this book for primarily that's 25 to 35 that's just trying to find their way in life whenever they coincide with a company that has defined that purpose? Well, I think that, you know, first of all, they work for independent franchisees. And so those franchisees have sometimes their own purpose and their own mission and their own core values that are likely to be similar to Chick-fil-A Incorporated, but they're still their own business. And so, you know, they that there's all these little cultures, too, that are part of these um, small businesses that these franchisees run. Now, when I say small businesses, you know, that they're getting to be quite big with some of them having, <laughs> I, I heard one yesterday, well, I was talking to an operator yesterday, told me, you know, it's going to be $12 million this year out of one location. And uh, just for That's example, crazy though, that guy's life yeah. has changed though. It's changed because of this vision that was so much yeah. bigger than chicken. And the reason is around service and these, you know, and uh, their team members uh, used to be almost predominantly teenagers and now it's very much a mix. But you're right. The, when we talk about this 20 to 35 year old age group, why would they invest so much? And I think it's the example of these operators because they're doing the same things that Truett did. They're uh, investing in their communities. They're serving other people. You know, I, this whole thing of service is an interesting story too, the way it started. Chick-fil-A was having a lot of competition for the chicken sandwich. And at, at that time, Dan was trying to figure out how are we going to compete if other people are copying the sandwich? Now, I don't think the sandwich was as good, but they were copying it. And so he decided service was going to be the great differentiator for Chick-fil-A. We already had a pretty good reputation. But he was ready to take it to the next level. 
so in his mind, what we were going to do is create fine dining experiences within the quick service restaurant. And, you know, nice tablecloths and flowers on the table and, and those types of things that you come to Chick-fil-A expecting more of a fast food thing. And then all of a sudden you arrive and it's a different experience. Well, he was in a Chick-fil-A restaurant one day and one of the operators, franchisees, had one of those great big pepper grinders um, that you see at nice restaurants. He said, what do you do with that? He said, well, when a guest orders a salad, we take it over to the table and we offer to grind fresh ground pepper. Well, Dan <laughs> loved that idea. So he went to the annual conference of the franchisees and he said, when you get back to your hotel, there'll be one of these. He, he told this story. He said, there'll be one of those pepper grinders in your hotel room. Take that back and grind the pepper. Well, they were really confused because remember I talked about rules and principles earlier. Well, they only had three rules really when they went into business with Truett Cafe. And they were these, don't open on Sunday, don't change the main menu and put the money in the bank. And now they had this fourth rule, grind the pepper. And they were confused. And so he asked him, he said, and so they started, you know, kind of, it wasn't working is the bottom line. And <laughs> So we took a step back and first examined why it wasn't working. There's two reasons. First, those pepper grounders kept running out of the restaurant. Don't know how, but they cost $82 to replace. And the second <laughs> thing is, is every market's customers wanted something different. That pepper grinder was great where it originated in the South and people like you to come over and do a table touch and ask how you're doing. But there are places like New York City and Chicago and Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia and Seattle where people go to fast food restaurants because they're fast. <laughs> and so they didn't want you coming to the table. So we stepped back and we said, what do we really want? Well, what we really want is that every customer that comes to the restaurant on every visit would experience some element of second mile service. Oh, well, we know what first mile service is. That's getting the order right in a reasonable amount of time with reasonable friendly service. But all of a sudden, there was this new principle. It comes from Matthew 541. You know, mm. if the Roman soldier asks you to carry his pack one mile, carry it two. Jesus told that story. And so this idea was we want to go above and beyond customer expectations. And by the way, Mr. and Mrs. Franchisee, you decide for your customers what that looks like. You have this freedom to make second mile second nature in your restaurant. And by the way, the reason that phrase came up is because that's what the team members did. It wasn't written down in any handbook, but all of a sudden they were doing things like jumping off dead batteries in the drive-thru and changing tires in the parking lot and going dumpster diving for discarded <laughs> dental appliances. They were returning left wallets, you know, driving 25 miles away to return a wallet with all the contents intact. They were sending boats in the middle of a hurricane to an older couple that was being flooded out. They were jumping through drive-thru windows to help a choking child in the back seat that the, that the parent couldn't see. I could go on and on, couldn't I? Oh, but oh my God. I, and it's become like a, it's become a shtick on LinkedIn now. Like everyone posts their quintessential Chick-fil-A story <laughs> of how they like, they missed up one of their sauces when, through the drive-thru. And then the person's driving away and looks in their rearview mirror and sees someone, a teenager running <laughs> after him, waving him down. And it's yeah. like, but you know, when you're talking about that though, the, the phrase that comes to mind for me is like culture of contribution. And I think sometimes the story around hiring young people today is, oh, all they, all they think about is themselves. All they think is take, 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 me, 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 me. And it's like, well, that uh, that's a fine argument all the way up until you go to Chick-fil-A. And then that argument doesn't work anymore. 
And I don't think it's because Chick-fil-A has a monopoly on good teenagers or good 20-year-olds or something like that. I think it has something to do with leadership. So can you speak to like, what are the practical things that leaders can do to create a culture of contribution, like what you're talking about, where it's like people are obsessed with that second mile service mentality? Well, I think the most important thing is, is this idea of service is first you have to role model it. And that's why, you know, when people ask me, how did you, how did Chick-fil-A get, you know, 200,000 team members to say my pleasure and treat people like this? Honestly, Chick-fil-A Incorporated did not. The Chick-fil-A franchisees, now I think there are close to 2,500 of them um, who are individual business owners accomplished that. Now, think about that for a moment. That's incredible. Like, how could you get consistency among 2,500 different business owners? I think that goes back to selection of the leader. So if there's a lesson to leaders listening to that, the most important decision you make is selection of your leaders. And so for me, what does that mean? Well, I'm selecting leaders whose character matches the culture of the organization or the character of the organization. If you think about it, the sum total of the culture of your organization is made up of the character of the people in your organization. So that's number one, and it's important. Select leaders with character. Secondly, I'm going to select people with competency for the role, and not just for their current role, but for a role in the future, too. If you're going to have retention of people, you're not thinking that they have competency not just for today, but the bench strength for tomorrow. When I first started selecting operators at Chick-fil-A or franchisees, I was selecting them mainly for mall opportunities that generated around thirty dollars to $75,000 in income that was probably five hundred to topping out at a million dollars in sales. But what I had to keep in mind is I knew where the organization was going and we were going to leave shopping malls and we were going into this freestanding market and there were going to be more and more franchisees that number one, they're going to want that opportunity because it's going to generate more income, but we were going to need them to be able to grow the business. And guess what? They weren't just going to have one opportunity. They're going to have two. So I had to find leaders that would go and run a, you know, $500,000 per year restaurant today, but might be capable of doing 12, 15, $20 million of business at some point in the future. So that's, that's when you talk about competency, it's not just enough for competency for today. If you're looking at this kind of leader. And then the third thing is chemistry, chemistry that matches the team. And I'm not talking about where we join arms and, and sing Kumbaya. I'm talking about the kind of chemistry that a leader can come into the room, bring their own perspective, and have strong enough collaboration skills to influence everybody else on the team. So that's the second point. I mean, you have to have um, those kinds of leaders. And that's what I believe we did at Chick-fil-A, is have those kind of people that set the role model, and then they selected the talent um, that reflected who they were. And, and you talk about, you mentioned it earlier, the value of having learning and development opportunities. And and I think at Chick-fil-A, you know, I mean, it's experienced this just insane exponential growth that it's like, I've always heard some of the best advice someone new in their career could get is just go work for a company that's growing fast. Because even if it's a bad company, you're going to learn so much in such a short period of time. But but really, that's all associated with learning and development. And sometimes there's smaller businesses that maybe because they don't want to grow that fast or maybe because they the owner has other priorities, 
that they say, okay, I can't always offer a promotion every year. Like I may be able to even pay them more, but it doesn't always equate to moving up an org chart because we just don't have that big of an org chart. So outside of these new positions or this ladder that someone's climbing within an organization, what are some other learning and growth opportunities that a leader can provide, DM? Sure. There's so many, even, you know, even if you can't do that promotion, you can do those lateral moves and explain it what it is. It's like, we're expanding your knowledge. So when that opportunity that you want becomes available, you'll have a lot more in your backpack to offer. And uh, so you have to explain when you do those lateral moves. In fact, I like to talk about the, the most, the biggest learning development opportunity I ever had was making one of those moves when I went from leading talent to the last three years at Chick-fil-A where I launched sustainability and 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 uh, inter- enterprise social responsibility was what it was called first. And I went to run a function that I knew nothing about. Yeah, I was going to say, I, that's I, not like a soft <laughs> gear shift. That's like a super hard gear shift. But, you know, in leadership development, stop and think about it. If you're really a leader, it doesn't matter what the subject matter is. In fact, the best leaders can lead something they don't know a lot about because they have to trust the people who are the experts, remove the barriers and obstacles in their way and help them be successful to reach the goals. That's what a leader does. And so when you take away the competency factor, it's like, okay, I could do anything in talent, but I don't know anything about this. So it really honed my leadership skills. And that was really basically a lateral move. So that's a really powerful opportunity. The other thing is establishing mentoring programs being sure that people have the opportunity for internal and external. Internal is easy. You can make that assignment. Hey, as a leader, your job is to mentor two people in the organization. Here's your two people. It's a little bit harder to navigate the external network, but that's really important. If you can trade off, if you can offer some mentoring to another organization and ask them to mentor some of their better leaders to mentor people in your organization, I think it's important for people to have both. They need those sponsors within the organization. But there's still politics there. So they still can't talk about anything and everything. And that's why they need an outside mentor as well. Can can I pause you there real quick? Can I ask you a specific question on that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. As you started talking about mentorship, I was thinking about a member of our program. His name is Tim. And to use the language I've heard you use before, he would even classify himself this way as going from doer to leader. Right. He Mm -hmm. is stepping into like he says, "Okay, I'm going to try and grow this business beyond myself, which means I'm going to step out of the tactical working in this business role and I'm going to start working on the business. And so he's starting uh, to, to hire all of this rock star talent like he's just he's got a wonderful, small but mighty team right now. And he he found this just like this, I want to say he's 25 or 26 year old kid, essentially, right? And I say I can say that because I'm 29, right? I'm a kid as well. But but brought him on his team and the the like he just the hire has such an incredible attitude, is such an incredible culture fit. And literally the second day of work looked at Tim and said, Hey Tim, I really love what you're doing here with the business. I wanted to know if you would be interested in mentoring me because there's a lot I can learn from you. And Tim is like, well, that's amazing. And then he was like, I have no clue what that even means. I don't know what to do with How do I mentor someone? Yesterday I was changing pipe fittings and now you're asking me to mentor someone. And so first of all, I I think I'd love to break this question into two pieces. I'd love for you to talk to someone like Tim who has experience and wisdom to offer 
who can mentor people but doesn't know what that looks like. And then I'd also like you to talk to young people and tell them, how do you go about getting mentors and making the most of that relationship? But let's start with the potentially older individual that has the opportunity to mentor others. Sure. Well, it's funny because the advice that I'm about to give is the answer is the same and you'll understand in a minute. So if I'm the older mentor, there's a couple of things that I'm going to do. First of all, I believe in a mentoring relationship, the responsibility is on the mentee. They're the ones who, who want to get something out of it. So I think it's their responsibility to set the agenda, to set the calendar, to come to the meeting prepared with what, the meetings with the mentor of what they want to learn and know about. And you have to set that expectation with the mentee. And I've done it a lot of times and some of them don't follow through and some of them are amazing. But if they want to be mentored, it's their responsibility to drive the agenda. Now, the other thing that the mentor can do, so we're going to assume that the mentee is going to drive the agenda. They're going to say, here are my goals. You're going to help them with that as they need help. But this is what I want to get out of this. This is how I want to do this. this you know, you agree of how often you're going to meet. But here's what I really want to encourage mentors to do. It is such an amazing experience when you invite them into your work, not just having lunch meetings and not just sitting down for one-on-ones, but take them to that meeting with, you know, I had uh, one time at Chick-fil-A, the chief marketing officer was my mentor for a couple of years. And, you know, when I went with him to the ad agency and met with the head of the ad agency and watched him, you know, negotiate and watch the deal come together and watch how they strategized about the future of the marketing campaigns, you know, that opened up my whole mind to a number of things and what that helped me learn. So bring them into your work. I had a I had another mentor that never did that. And I didn't learn a whole lot from him because he didn't, he didn't do that. And so, and, and there are little things that you don't think anything of. I have an intern this summer and I was speaking a couple of weeks ago and it was not far from her hometown. She's remote, obviously from me. And so I was speaking and I said, Hey, you want to, you want to come to my uh, event, meet me there. And, you know, we'll go have dinner together and, and you can, you know, be my assistant for a couple of days on site and so forth. I didn't think much about it. It was tremendous to her what she I means to see me speak live, for example. And, and, and then, I, you know, I took her everywhere with me and she went backstage and she got to see how things operate in that. And she sat in the rehearsal meeting and it was just such a it was a little thing to me. It was huge to her. So don't forget those little things. OK, that's what mentors can do. Mm-hmm. Mentees back to how to be successful. You really have to own this relationship. Your mentor is a very busy person. They're giving you a tremendous gift of their time. And so before you even ask somebody to be your mentor, decide what you want to get out of it. Decide what it is you're trying to learn, because that determines who you pick as your mentor. And it may be some business skills on the job. You know, you want to learn more about marketing or finance. You might ask the CMO or the CFO to be your mentor, or you have a certain weakness in an area. You know, maybe your sales ability is just not what it needs to be. And there's somebody else on the sales team that is amazing. Maybe they'll spend some time with you and help you. So determine what it is that you need to learn and you want to get out of it. That helps you select your mentor. And then just like what happened to Tim, you know, just go and say, hey, this is what I'm trying to learn. These are my goals. This is the time frame I would like to do it in. So you're asking for over the next three months, six months, year. 
And I'm going to encourage you that you set it up from the beginning for longer than a year commitment. But over the next X number of time, I want to learn these things. And I think you can help me. Would you be willing to spend some time with me? How much time would you be willing to spend with me? I was thinking we could do this on a monthly basis. And and every month might be a little different, like maybe a breakfast one month. And, and the next month, could you come into my team meeting and watch me as I lead my team and give me some feedback? And um, maybe I could travel with you into the market on the third month and we could um, spend some significant time and I could see how you communicate to other leaders of a, of a specific division. You're getting the idea, right? And so that's the mentee's role is to really set it up and to set specific goals of what you want to accomplish and then give some structure to the relationship. And I I think that's the distinction that I think I missed for a very long time is, oh, if someone wants to invest in me, they'll go out of their way to find me. And it's like, that is not correct. They don't have time to do that. But, But what I did learn was, oh, even really high caliber, extremely driven, sometimes even what we would qualify as famous or influential people will make time for someone that is really prepared and is taking ownership and responsibility of saying, I'm going to ensure that if I've got an hour with this person, I will get something out of it and they will see a return on their time. And and sometimes I think... I see people that are my age, sometimes even older than me, that they spend all of their time in books and podcasts. And I think I love books and podcasts, right? We have a podcast. You've written a book. There's there's so much value to be gained from books and podcasts. And at the same time, something changes whenever you sit down with a real living person and hear from their experience. And so is there anything else you would add on that line of just telling young people or or people that have the opportunity to mentor just to encourage them to step into that type of relationship, Deanne? Yeah. So, you know, there's if you think about it, having a mentor is a three dimensional, which I think podcasts and books are kind of two dimensional. And you want three dimensional experiences to help you grow your career. That's going to help you stand out. Truett Cathy used to quote, and it was somebody else's quote. I think it was Zig Ziglar's quote, but he used to say all the time, you'll be the same person five years from now as you are today, except for the books that you read and the people that you meet. And I've added in there the books that you read, the podcasts that you listen to. <laughs> and the, But don't forget, and the people you meet, you have to meet people. You have to build relationships. You have to do both. And it's just really, really important for your career, not in a way that's using people, but the value you add to them, the value they add to you, and what you learn from all those different relationships and the little pieces of wisdom that you pick up and then that you turn around and impart to others. You know, very little that I've said today, I would say was authored truly by Deanne Turner. It's pieces that I've picked up about from people over, you know, a 35 year career now. And to be able to pick up from your stories. It's like I I, I and the people listening to this podcast, we will never get to meet True Kathy, which is such a shame. Like we're never going to get to have him on a podcast. But it's like you worked with Truett and we get to learn from Truett's lessons through the lens of Deanne. I just think that's so cool. And it's so sad whenever sometimes that goes dormant. Like, don't let that go dormant. That shouldn't go dormant. Um, okay, it's a, it's a little bit of a, of a gear shift. I think, especially in Christian circles, but honestly, there's a lot of people talking about this now. Um, we say, don't just chase a career, chase a calling. 
And, and there's kind of this idea that there's a difference between the two. First of all, I'd love to know, do you agree that maybe there's a difference? And then second of all, because it can be kind of ambiguous, if there is a difference, what is it or how do you think of that topic of calling? Yeah, there can certainly, I think there's certainly a difference because I think you can have a career that's not your calling. Mm-hmm. I think the sweet spot is when your calling and your career overlap. I use my own story as an example. And I didn't start out this way. When I was eight years old, I wanted to be a writer. That's all I ever wanted to be all through high school. I went to college to study journalism. I was going to be a writer. And I got out of school in the middle of that recession in the early 80s. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, there weren't a lot of jobs for journalism majors. And nobody I didn't have any life experience anybody was going to be interested in reading about. And so I ended up in the advertising field. And I'm not going to go through the whole story. It's in my books. But I end up starting to apply for jobs at Chick-fil-A in advertising. I get to my final interview. And the vice president of human resources saw something in me I didn't see in myself. And he said, I think you'd be a really good fit for this job in HR. Would you be interested? And, you know, my idea was I was going to, I, I love variety and change. So I was going to take this job in HR. And then I know where the jobs were in, in marketing. And I would eventually go back there. I worked there for 33 years and I never went to work in marketing because, (laughs) (laughs) and here's the reason why, because along the way, I found out that my writing talent was just a means to really fulfill my ultimate calling. And my ultimate calling is this, my path or my calling is to help other people find their calling. Hmm. And so that's what I came to realize. And it, it wasn't easy. At first I thought I totally missed my calling. And then I, It was like, this is what you do. And whether it was working as the VP of talent at Chick-fil-A or it's writing a book about how to bet on talent or how to crush your career, I was still doing that very thing of helping others find their calling. So my sweet spot, everything matched up kind of beautifully for me eventually. But that's not always the case. There are financial issues. There are all kinds of reasons why people don't quite get to Whatever their calling is, it doesn't necessarily end up getting to be their career. And what I encourage people to do is then pursue your calling avocationally. You know, if there's not a place for you to pursue it within your career, then your career might be one direction and your calling is where you, your passions are and you pursue that in your own time. Mm -hmm. And because I think that that actually makes you happier in your career, if you have a place to pursue that then you're still going to be happier in your career, even if they're not matching up in the sweet spot together. Oh, so how so do you powerful. find your calling? What, you know, what is your calling? Well, I think it's the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. You know, mm-hmm. what is it that just stirs your soul? I think it's the thing that others tell you you do best. It was just like that boss of mine that said, I see some things in you. I didn't see those things in me. I had no idea that I had, had this specific t- talent for identifying talent. And he saw that in me. And so what do other people tell you to do best? You know, look at the world and what problems need to be solved. You can find a calling in solving a problem. I think about Justin Miller, uh, a young man I know. And I don't know if you've ever interviewed Justin. Yeah, I know Justin. He's a friend of mine. Oh, yeah. So Justin, you know, he's in college and he sees this big need around the AIDS crisis in Africa that they need. First of all, they need the gospel, but they also need healing and they need to be able to get well and move on with their life. And so starting while he's in college, he starts building these AIDS centers. And I'm not going to quote how many he has now, but a bunch. 
And I mean, <laughs> that's his life calling now is that he has transformed thousands of lives in sub-Saharan Africa through his AIDS clinics that he's built there. And he spread the gospel while doing it. And, you know, he his calling came from finding a problem in the world that needs solved. And then lastly, I think about, you know, when do I feel God's pleasure? That's my calling. When do, when am I doing the thing that I just feel God going, yeah, that's what I made you to do. You're doing what I created you to do. Man, I, I love the way you kind of cl- cap that off with feeling God's pleasure, because it's also like one of the things that you look up after you did it and you're like, I didn't even realize I was doing that. And it's because you almost stop thinking about yourself. It's like your your eyes suddenly get taken off of yourself and you're focusing all on how you can be used to serve other people, which kind of encompasses everything we've talked about today. I, I think people could look at your career path and say, okay, she she was looking for advertising and marketing. Then she ended up working in HR. She became chief of HR at Chick-fil-A. Then she moved to sustainability. Now she's she's writing and speaking and teaching and and all of this. And we could say, oh, her, her career shifted, so her calling shifted. And maybe this is an incorrect assumption, but I just feel like looking at your career path, it's all just it, different iterations of the exact same calling. And, and so number one, is that true? And then number two, can you speak to how your calling can manifest in different ways as you go along that path? Sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the same calling. It's just been manifested in different ways except for one period of time. And so there were some circumstances with the business and being in a family-owned business and new family members coming into the business at different positions and so forth. And so Truett's oldest grandson became the chief people officer. And when that occurred, I had been you know, in that role of VP of talent for so long and, and Andrew needed to build his own team. And so he began to do that and I worked with him for a little while longer and then I needed to find a place so that he could build his own team. And about the same time, the company had had a big reorganization. They did, they created this function for social responsibility. It was one of the missing pieces they had. And because and I was still picked for that because I like to build things. And so that's why I was put in that role. And I worked in that role for three years when Chick-fil-A offered about 100 staff members, long-term people, the opportunity for a voluntary early retirement option. Now, I didn't have to go. In fact, I was kind of young to go. I could have stayed right where I was in the role that I had. But I was actually sitting in a meeting one day, and we were talking about plastic straws and mixed-use packaging, like the floral bags. And I just kind of had this experience where I'm looking down on the meeting, and God just spoke into my soul and said, you're not doing what I made you to do. Mm-hmm. And I was still doing some of that stuff because I was speaking on behalf of of Chick-fil-A to a lot of audiences. I'd written my first book, It's My Pleasure. And so I was I was getting to do that kind of on a part-time basis, but it wasn't where I was investing myself day to day. And God just really stirred and said, it's time to take your message to a larger audience. You know, there are people out there that don't have what Chick-fil-A has and they need help. And so that was that was the one time, that period of time in my life where I didn't feel like my career was hitting the sweet spot of my calling. And then there was a way provided just to go and do that again. So I, I think that that, you know, that was the one place that it didn't. To have that realization is one thing, but then to have the guts to act on that realization is, I mean, it's mind boggling. 
like the amount of courage and faith that is required to say, I'm going to leave this behemoth of an organization that is, if not at that time, well on its way to being a multi-billion dollar organization. I've got benefits. I've got, I, I mean, everything associated with resources and team members, opportunity out the wazoo. And to say, I'm gonna leave that into what is basically the unknown. Like, I know I can write and I know, I I think I've got this message that God gave me to share with other people, but I'm going to leave all of those resources. That is crazy, Dan. And and I think the parallel that I see, I mean, I, to to be honest, I think the reason why I can say that is crazy because I, I feel, I see parallels from leaving Ramsey Solutions in so many ways. And I know that's where you and I last spoke was there. It, it, just, it was an outrageously hard decision and I felt as though it was right. And I knew as though it was right, but I see so many business owners. And honestly, this is something that I think about for myself is that if we're not careful, we all have a a capacity to be so comfortable where we are that we miss out on what God has for us moving forward. And, and I know that that can happen to people. And, and instead of stepping into his calling for this next season of their life, they stay where it's comfortable and so I'd love for you just to speak from the posture of experience of number one, was that the right decision? And then like, how, how has God shown up in you having the courage to go and do that? Yeah, it absolutely was the right decision on a lot of levels as I look back on it. And at the time, it was the hardest decision I made in my life. And I, and I say that it took me a lot less time to decide to marry my husband than it did to leave Chick-fil-A for all the reasons <laughs> you said. You know, and every day is something else, you know, to, before we were getting started today, I was having, I've been having computer problems for a couple of weeks. And, you know, when I was at Chick-fil-A, I just called and somebody showed up in my office and they fixed it or <laughs> like my computer actually crashed and they showed up with another one. <laughs> you know? and, and so it's, it's on so many different levels. It, it was a hard decision. And I think about those last three years, I told you that was best leadership development opportunity I ever had. I was like, but you didn't stay at Chick-fil-A, so it didn't get used. Well, I think God was preparing me for my exit right now because I was learning so many things. I was learning how to do things I had never done before. Well, owning your own business is all about learning things you've never done yourself before. <laughs> yeah, as you understand. So I I look back on that. You know, that's what I was being prepared for. And, you know, every day is an adventure now. And, you know, sometimes it's frustrating. But here's what I meant about it's really good. It, you know, 30 three years and most of those years in leadership and most of those years in a senior leadership position in a corporation, I don't care how great a corporation is, that's stressful. That's hard on you. It impacts all kinds of levels of of your life. And I am so thankful that I had the opportunity at a little bit younger age to kind of do something different that I that take better care of me. And that's mm-hmm. been that's been a big part of this season is I'm just a healthier person than I was. I was, you know, I look back and, and again, it wasn't particularly the organization or anything. It was just, it's a lot of responsibility and it, it weighs on your shoulders and you do that year after year after year. And so I think that it, number one, it was good for me and I love what I'm doing. I love the influence on so many different areas. I mean, I'm, I have a, a client that I've been speaking at their national conference. They split into three different sessions. And so I leave tomorrow to go for the third one. And it's like, what a, what a blessing it's been to just influence other organizations like that. And again, take care better of myself. My husband and I have had 
tremendous time traveling and spending more time together while we're still young enough to enjoy some of these things. And then I think about Chick-fil-A. It was the right decision for Chick-fil-A too, because it gave them an opportunity for emerging talent to, to grow into some positions. And I'm one of those people, I know I'm not indispensable. And so I think it's great to see the people who followed me in talent and how successful they've been in continuing to do some of the things that we started there early in the days of Chick-fil-A. And then I look at, I mean, sustainability without a doubt needed somebody (laughs) who um, could take that to the next level. And that's the great thing. I mean, you know, you want to, and I look back and I look at leaders that I helped influence and they're being very successful and how fulfilled I am to see that happen. So all the way around, great, hardest decision ever, but certainly has been the right decision. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I just think like there is someone on planet Earth and hopefully they work at Chick-fil-A right now that that straw conversation is their idea of a blast, right? Like uh, we're talking about plastic straws and about the recycling. and, and But then that person probably thinks that what you're doing right now looks like a living nightmare. And it's like, yeah, that's sure. for me, it's like, <laughs> that's calling. Like, that's it. Okay. Because I think this shows up for so many people, like taking a bold step like that, whether it's you're an owner and you need need to start letting go more responsibility or you're stepping into a new degree of ownership or launching a new product or creating a new arm of the business or stepping into that more creative visionary role. I think a lot of times that the, the question that cripples people is, is this right? How do I know that this is right? And I mean, you said you wrestled with that decision to leave Chick-fil-A for a long time. Did you have that question in the back of your head? Is this right? And how did you deal with that? Hmm. Well, the real story behind it was the very weekend after this announcement was made at the company and this offer was made, I had about two months to make a decision. And I was watching the funeral of former First Lady Barbara Bush. Hmm. And John Meacham was talking about her. And he said she lived a consequential life. And I just paused there and I thought, for this season, am I living my most consequential life? And that was the question that began to pose. It, it kind of led me to that moment that I was telling you about in the meeting. It was that question. It's like, is this the most consequential thing I can be doing at 54 years old? I mean, <laughs> really, you know, it's like with all the talents that God gave me, is this what I should be doing to lead a consequential life? And it wasn't just about career. It was, am I leading a consequential life in my faith? Am I leading a consequential life with my family and my adult son to, while we're empty nesters, there's still things they need. It's a different level of need, whether it's, you know, coaching the one that got engaged this past weekend or the one who, you know, is contemplating a job offer or the one who's contemplating career change. You know, they, they still need those parenting skills. And when they ask for them, you want to be available for that. Most consequential you know, life in my marriage, I could go on and on and on with my friends, with the things that I want to do before I die. And that was really what pressed in on me and helped me with that decision. And then it became a faith issue. Mm. It was like, if you really feel God's leading me, which I did, I felt like God was speaking to me and telling me that this is my next step. And so it became a crisis of faith for me. Are you going to trust me? I got this. You know, my hand, my arms are here. You're going to fall into my arms. Do you trust me? 
And so that was the wrestling I did. It was all about faith. I knew from a very early moment what I was supposed to do. In fact, I could I could look back and see how God had put all the pieces in place the previous three years preparing for me to do this. But then it was just, am I going to have enough faith? And that's true about most anything, regardless our careers or otherwise. You know, am I going to have enough faith to trust God? And let me tell you something, when you get on the other side, and you do have enough faith to trust him and you see his work, there's not a much better feeling ever in life than to have trusted God and 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 to know that, you know, he delivered. And it gives you so much faith for the future. It's like, well, if you did it then, you're gonna do it again. You're not gonna stop now. So for me, it was about faith and coming to terms with do I trust God enough to do what I hear him calling me to do? Thank you for sharing that. And and more than even just sharing that message, thank you for living that message. That That is just so powerful. That's an inspiration for me personally, but I know it's also an incredible inspiration for the people listening to this podcast that you have lived in such a way that your life could be more consequential. I love that. Before we get to the final question, I, I would just tell everyone listening to this, if you have a child that is on the career path, you need to get them this book. If you have team members that are thinking about the difference between calling and career and you want them to have learning and growth development, you need to buy this book for them. Don't tell them to get this book, buy this book for them. And I think it's just one for business owners, business leaders to have on their shelf, literally to either give to other people, but also there's so much in the book about coaching and leading others to find their calling. And that's at the heart of mentorship. Deanne, I know they can follow you on social media. I know you're very active on LinkedIn. And then also you have an eight part podcast series with just incredible guests that we'll put the link to in the show notes. Jordan Rayner's on there, Dana Spinola's in there, and and just wonderful conversations about everything that we've talked about kind of with regard to career and calling and everything associated with that. Anything else you would add with regard to how people can be connected to you before we get to our final question? Sure. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I'd love to be connected on LinkedIn. And I also have a Facebook author page, Deanne Turner Author, and Instagram at Deanne Turner. And then uh, the website is deanneturner.com and you can find everything there. Awesome. Very cool. Final question for you would be, what is the encouragement or challenge that you would give specifically to impact-driven leaders that would really kind of cap off this entire conversation and give them something to go and do out of this conversation? So this is, we talked about this in depth, and I want to just go back to this from this session, is that if you're trying to attract the kind of talent that wants to crush their career, there are three things you have to focus on as the leader of your business. You have to own the culture. Everybody in your organization contributes to it, but you have to create a compelling, remarkable culture. And I didn't explain what I mean by that, Alex, but just real quickly, it includes a meaningful purpose like the one I described for Chick-fil-A, a challenging mission, a big goal that you're all working towards, and lastly, demonstrated core values that describe the how you're going to go about your work. And so you have to have that culture. And then secondly, you it, it, which really comes out of your purpose, you have to figure out what your organization is about bigger than whatever you do every day. Because this generation of leaders that want to crush their careers, that's what they're looking for. And lastly, take a look at your learning and development opportunities. When I first went to Chick-fil-A, it was uh, a do-it-yourself company is what it was called. And a lot of our learning came from, we were beyond a startup, but we were still a small company that we ate 
lunch with the CEO and the and the president and the other executives at the company every day. And all that was passed down to us because we had that opportunity. My middle son works in a company where they're operating very similarly. And I know what a great opportunity that is. But as you grow, those opportunities become less. People become more specialized. And if you're not intentional about learning and development, it won't happen. And all of a sudden, you'll have a company that has opportunity and you don't have the talent on your bench because you didn't invest them. And so those are the three things I want you to walk away with as a leader is, do I have those in my organization? Do I have them on my team, my organization? And if I don't, what am I going to do to make sure I'm doing that? Because that's the way you're going to attract and keep the best talent today. Game on. Uh, So practical, so actionable. Deanne, thanks for your time. Thanks for your investment. We'll talk again soon. It's been my pleasure, Alex. Thank you so much. My goodness. I I just feel like that entire conversation exemplifies a principle that we talk about within Path for Growth all the time. It's just the idea that you will never go wrong prioritizing people. And I want you to hear that as a business, as a leader, as a person, I truly believe this, you will never go wrong prioritizing people. And I'm just so grateful to Deanne for her example in doing just that, for her openness, for her authenticity, and for the fact that she is living a life that is not focused on what's comfortable, but focused on the question, what is my calling? And who are the people that I feel passionate about serving exceptionally well? Now, we're going to put all of the links that we discussed in this conversation in the show notes of this episode, so be sure to go check those out. Hey, one more final thing before we close out today. You probably know this, but every Wednesday, we've started sending out an email called Worth It Wednesday, and that's because most email isn't worth it. It's not worth the time. It's not worth the energy, so our team set out to create one that is. Every Wednesday, we send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. Takes about three minutes to read, and it's in your inbox first thing Wednesday morning. So many of you have signed up for this, and the feedback y'all send back to us, gosh, I'm just so grateful to it because we're having a ball writing these things, and the fact that y'all are reading it and using it and sharing it just means the world to us. So thank you for doing that. Again, if you want to sign up for Worth It Wednesday, you can do that in the show notes of this episode. Hey, we're grateful for you. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.